There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to... No, that's not how we're going to start it. Chris Gorman keeps making fun of me for the way that I intro this podcast. So this is the intro. Like we're doing this right now. Like oh, we're wait, live. are we in? Are we're, we live? We're live right now. Why is it? I like your intro. <laughs> I, I thought it was good too. Yeah. Um, he's just a hater. I guess he's just a hater. Would he's be just, eight. He's he's one of many haters. I feel like everyone that you, everyone that I enjoy listening to or reading, you're <laughs> like, oh yeah, he's a hater. Uh, Greg Smith is on the other end of this microphone. That's okay. That's partially true. If we want to be completely honest about this, it's just the NBA people because there are a lot of NBA writers, podcasters, haters um, that are Lakers haters. Like but, it just happens. Like, like I don't hate excellence and greatness. I don't think they're haters though. I just think the Lakers have been bad for like six years. So there's that's, like not anything good to talk about with them. I guess, but I, I I feel like people were just waiting on the downfall of the Lakers, and now that we're back and signed LeBron, that you guys just continue to perpetuate that hate. By the way, we're I fifteen. Don't, and I don't know that you're really back yet, though. Are no, you? we're back. <laughs> you gotta make the playoffs to be classified <laughs> as back. Okay, well, like hey, everybody said, okay, minute, earmark that. Everybody, then when we make the playoffs, we can. Okay, when they clinch the playoffs, I can come back and I'll say the. When you make the playoffs and when you get out of the first round, no, then we can start. Make no, no. The okay, playoffs. well, make the playoffs, sure. But like we we said, the Minnesota Timberwolves were back when they made the playoffs, or sorry, when they signed they Jimmy here. Butler. Yeah. And look at how that turned out. Not well. Not well. No. That might be one of my favorite trades. They gave up Zach Levine, what turned into Larry Markinen and Chris Dunn, for. A year of Jimmy Butler and like they basically like traded away a bunch of players just to completely erode Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins' confidence in their games. Yes, they did. That was like the trade off that they got. Very odd. Which is very bad. <laughs> very odd. Yes, yes, and then somehow managed to get Dario Saric out of it. Yeah. So who I really like. I guess. Uh all's well that's well, I guess. Uh we're gonna talk Husker <laughs> hoops a ton on this podcast. We're also gonna talk I've got Greg here because something important happened on the recruiting trail. We're going to hit on that um, momentarily. But in a little bit, I'm going to be joined by Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. He's their NBA draft guy. Um, Does really phenomenal work getting people kind of prepared for the NBA draft, making sure you know who, I guess, your favorite team. So, Greg, you, like, read him and he'll let you know who the Lakers uh, should target and will target. I'll have to check that out. Hopefully shooters. Uh, and then a little bit later, we're going to talk to Matt DeMarinas from the Blue and White Review. White and Blue Review? Blue and White Review? I had it momentarily. Hold on. The Lakers talked through you. Yeah, it did. White and Blue Review. A little bit later on, we're going to have Matt DeMarinas from the White and Blue Review to talk to us about this weekend's uh, Nebraska ball match with Creighton. Um if you don't want to talk about Nebraska ball after what happened against Minnesota, I'm sorry. This talk is going to be heavy on hoops. Um, but right now, we're going to talk about Wando Robinson. So you can listen for like the next 15 minutes and then turn us off, I guess. So, Greg, Wando Robinson committed on Wednesday? Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Because, yeah, Wednesday. I did. My, I've been off on what day it is all week. All week long, yeah. It's been a wild time. <laughs> so, uh, Wednesday, the number two athlete in the country committed is that his ranking yes and yes he did commit tremendous get for nebraska big big time big time um you've kind of been on this through the varsity club and and hail varsity kind of all along just kind of walk me through how this happened yeah, so it, it's been a crazy week of Wandale Watch. Well, really, yeah, about a, a little bit more of a full week, probably about 10 days of Wandale Watch since we kind of first found out 
that Ryan held was going to, during the first week of the contact period, go in uh, to see Wandale Robinson um, and see him in Kentucky was at last Tuesday, right? Um, so that happened, and people were kind of thinking, okay, is there now a, a chance that Nebraska is back in the game with him, so to speak? Well, we go in home. I spoke with Wandell um, and some people around him um, that said, hey, the, the meeting with Ryan Held went really well. We expect for Coach Frost to come in home um, at a later date. Well, instead of just doing that, Nebraska then sent Troy Walters, Sean Becton, and Ryan Held back in the home this past Sunday, um, where things went exceedingly well, um, which led to him then calling him being Wandell, calling um, Coach Stoops at Kentucky on, what is that, Tuesday night, um, with the intention, of, with a 5 o'clock call, to decommit. Wandell did not decommit on that 5 o'clock call. Um, they just kind of talked. Wandell called Coach Stoops back later on on Tuesday night and said, hey, Coach, I'm out. Um, and then that next day is when you saw, if you remember, you woke up and you looked at social media and you saw from Michael Lynn that, hey, we're getting big news later mm -hmm. on today. Um, and Jamie Nance retweets it with the eyeball emojis. That's what that was all about, um, that Wandale had left their class and that he had intended to come to the Nebraska class. And then on Wednesday, he released a very nice statement in the tweets um, saying that he would be, you know, following his heart to Nebraska, um, which is the place he wanted to be all along. So well, it's the place. Kind of it's the place that he fits the best. We'll get into that in a second. Um, five o'clock call Tuesday with with Stoops. Mm -hmm. The plan was for him to decommit on that call, and he didn't. Yeah, like I think what the, the... what happened between the the end of that call and then when he called them back. Yeah, I think what happened there is that he kind of went Wanda went into the call thinking that he would decommit. You talk to the coach, the coach is trying to get you to hold off. Um don't do it. Um we're going to try and and you know fix whatever questions that you have about the offense or if this is the right fit for you. Um there was some talk about whether or not they needed if Kentucky was going to pull assistance off the road um from talking to other recruits to go and meet with Wandale. Like there was a lot the, the Kentucky really and rightfully so so did not want him to leave that class. Like he, like no matter what they're going to say in, in the spin after this, like it's a huge loss um, to lose a, a player of that caliber. Conversely, it's a huge gain for Nebraska to get him in the class. Um, so Kentucky was really trying to pull out all the stops to not have him leave the class. So Wondell thought about it for a little bit, said, eh, I'm still out, called him back, and decommitted. Well, contrary to what Kentucky Radio Twitter guy will tell you, <laughs> Kentucky football doesn't get a ton of wins like this. So to have this kind of kid, like it, it helps that he was from Kentucky because if he's not from Kentucky, I, I, I would be skeptical about how how in this they would be if he was yeah. born someplace else. But still, to be to have him and then lose him, like that's a big loss for them, big gain for Nebraska. He fits um, perfectly, like you've talked about what. You you wrote something. You did a five takeaways or five thoughts on the the commitment um, when it was announced on Wednesday. That's on HaleVarsity.com, So go read it. Um, one of the things you mentioned was you you think he he'll be used more as a wide receiver that will be put into the backfield. Like like everybody expects him to be in both spots mm -hmm. at some point. Where where does he? play the bulk of the snaps. So it's funny, when I wrote that, I had not yet talked to him. So after talking to him, he here's what he says that the plan was for him. Because I do think that he'll play more at wide receiver. Um, but he says that their plan for him currently is to play both. That when he comes in, he will be in Coach Held's room uh, for meetings um, and things, and he will also be in Coach Walter's room um, for meetings as well. So I think the, the plan is to have him learn both. Um, it sounds a lot like what they were talking about doing with Miles Jones when he first came in last year. Um, I think he ended up spending more times more time with Coach Walters, though, by mm -hmm. the end. Um, so we'll see if Wandale follows a similar path to that. Um, but I think they're going to use him as both a wide receiver and a running back um, in, in – it's the Duckar spot. Yeah, it's because that is the Duckar spot. That mm -hmm. is what that exactly what that spot is for. Um, and it, and it's funny because when we talked to Ryan Held about this throughout the season, he said a lot because a lot was made of the Duckar thing because it was new and people were trying to figure out what was going on with it and who was fitting into that role. And Ryan Held said a couple of different times um, that they didn't necessarily have someone that was playing that role and that they had spent a lot less time in quote duck personnel um, than they would have thought going into the season. Um, 
Um, and now that they have a guy coming in like Wondell Robinson who will fit that spot, um, I think you'll be able to see that formation, that personnel grouping a lot more. But he will play both um, coming in. But I do, I do count him more as a wide receiver just because I view that position as more of a wide receiver hybrid role versus starting at running back and moving out. Like Maurice Washington, for example, to go there is more of a running back that also goes out in the slot mm-hmm. and catches passes. I think it's kind of the opposite with Wondell Robinson. Well, I think the best case or the, the Nebraska comparison from last year, just in terms of like how it physically looked on the, like they used Wyatt Missouri a ton in that, that mm-hmm. duck, like when he got on the field that he was in that role and I remember talking to him, and he said that he was more in Walter's meeting room than he was in Howell's because they were comfortable with him knowing running back stuff, and so they put him in. the. So would it be safe to say then that Robinson is going to be that just with usage dialed up to like 10? Yes. There will be all sorts. And it's funny, even as you were saying that, I'm thinking about the different ways that they can get him involved because you can imagine a play where they start off empty and then like Maurice Washington motions into the backfield and Adrian fakes a handoff to him and then runs like a slot option with Wandale Robinson where they run that quick um, bubble screen that they like to run a lot with Wandale. Like there are all sorts of fun things that they're going to be able to do um, with him because he is versatile enough to both carry the ball and then catch the ball as well. Um. He said he looked at DeAnthony Thomas from Oregon. That yeah, was a guy a that he huge, liked growing yeah. up. And that's pretty much the role that they envisioned for him here. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to the very first time I talked to him, like before the season, um, he mentioned that. And it kind of struck me as something that I'm like, huh, this is the way he said it. Because he said that DeAnthony Thomas was a guy that he's always looked up to um, and watched and try to pattern his game after. And that Coach Frost's um, experience in coaching DeAnthony Thomas at Oregon um, really had him interested. But also that is how Nebraska is pitching him as the role that he will have in this offense. Um, which is a pretty powerful thing to be able to tell a recruit um, that has the skill set that Robinson has. Well, I mean, the kids that are growing up now are kids that watched Anthony Thomas and LaMichael James at Oregon. Like, that that team was so fun for, for kids. Like, Noah yep. Vedral loved Oregon when he was growing up because of that style. So I think that's, that's a, a like you said, it's a good recruiting tool. You wrote something, so picture, like, this, this is what you wrote, picture, an offense pre-snap. You've got Chris Hickman or Jack Stoll on the field at tight end, or both at tight end. You've got J.D. Spielman out wide. You've got a backfield with Adrian Martinez in between Maurice Washington and Wondell Robinson. Just think about how dangerous that could be. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, that sounds awesome. It sounds great for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Put this into perspective for this upcoming season. Okay. Is it is does this commitment alone give you more reason for optimism heading into the season or do does expectations need to be tempered because this is a freshman coming in and it's this is an offense that's difficult to learn like are are you worried at all about Wandale's ability con- to contribute right away and live up to the hype because he told you he wants to win a Heisman that's that I mean He's not saying he wants to win it in year one. No, but those yeah, are lofty, yeah, to be clear, lofty expectations to put on yourself when you're heading in. So, it, it does he have the ability to live up to all of this hype right away? Okay, he has the ability to live up to the hype. It's going to be difficult to do it right away. Um, the comparison, which and it's not even a people will say it's a lazy comparison. It's not because of they how they both grew up in that area um, and they have been compared their entire high school careers and now college careers with him and Rondell Moore. Um, if I have a hard time seeing him matching the production of Rondell Moore. I would not be like completely shocked by that. But the biggest difference to me is, and which makes this really fun actually to me um, in year one, is that he doesn't have to match Rondell Moore's production for Nebraska to be successful on offense. If he's just pretty good and he's dangerous enough out there to go along with Maurice Washington, to go along with J.D. Spielman, and go along with Adrian Martinez, the trigger man, like that makes that offense that much more dangerous. He doesn't have to be Rondell Moore in year one. He really doesn't. He doesn't have to carry the offense. 
And if you're a defensive coordinator trying to defend all of those guys, and that's before you say, you know, and realistically, a guy like Jack Stoll, um, who was coming on at the end of the season last year and who definitely got better and Adrian got more comfortable with him as he got better within the offense, like, let's say he takes another step, right? We saw the offensive line make strides throughout the season. Mm -hmm. If that happens again, like, there's a lot of, like, not pie in the sky scenarios that you could see this offense really continue to get better and grow. And I think that that's the really fun thing is that Wandale does not have to carry this offense year one in a lot of the ways that I feel like Rondell Moore does um, for Purdue. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that he will match that necessarily year one, but he also doesn't have to. That's a, that's a dangerous combination. You have a kid that's as talented as Wandale Robinson is who can come in and doesn't have to, be the savior right away or right. doesn't have to be the the superstar guy that that can be a dangerous combination thanks for joining great it's fun thank you for having me yeah. go back to writing some more content for hairvarsity.com i will do that <laughs> you've been writing a ton of stuff sports illustrated's jeremy Wu joining us now um, covers all kinds of basketball but has a focus on the NBA draft Jeremy thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me you've had a pretty busy schedule over the last couple couple weeks it seems like <laughs> yeah yeah definitely I no worries I, I just got I got back to New York the other day or yesterday from the, the Midwest I was there for a week just going to different games and seeing teams and you know was able to stop in and uh, for Nebraska's win over Illinois so that was it was nice good trip so do you do you prefer East Coast basketball? Do you prefer Midwest, or do you prefer out on the West Coast? <laughs> you know, honestly, I you know, I'm from Chicago, so I've kind of done everything, and I wouldn't say I have a strong preference. I just I go wherever there's good games, uh, you know, players to see. So that's sort of how I view it. So I I don't have a pointed preference, I guess. It's a good gig. Yeah, it's, no, it's fun. <laughs> um, being able to see see games, and, you know. Uh, Nebraska was a team that poor season anyone wanted to see, and uh, he was glad I was able to stop through. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you were too. I kind of saw you tweeted about it, and so I was like, oh, I know I want to talk to talk to Jeremy because I've been following you for a while. Um, when it comes to draftable Big Ten prospects, you have been talking about Isaiah Roby for a bit, um, and like you said on on Sunday, you were able to uh, to come to Lincoln to watch him and watch Nebraska um, a 75-60 win over Illinois. Um, I'm not sure how much of Nebraska that you've gotten to watch, but what what was your overall impression of the Huskers? Kind of what did, what did you take away from that game? Yeah, you know, I, I thought they were pretty impressive. I mean, you know, they they're not super deep, uh, which I guess might come you know become sort of an issue, you know, as we sort of get into the thick of the season. But I mean, they, they do definitely have talent. I mean, I think their pieces fit pretty well together uh, for the most part. Their starting five. I mean. Yeah, Roby is the guy who, you know, for me, and I think a lot of, I think the most NBA scouts who talk to would say, you know, he's probably their best uh, pro prospect on the team. Uh, so, you know, getting to see him and, uh, you know, Palmer, I got to see, you know, I, I was at the Big Ten tournament last year, so I've, I'd seen them play a lot last year. And then I, I had watched the tape of when they played Texas Tech earlier this season. So I, I, I say I'm fairly familiar just with the personnel. And uh, But, you know, between between Roby and then Palmer is a guy who was, you know, worth checking up on. and. Uh, you know, Copeland is, you know, a solid guy for them. So I think, I think those three guys, uh, you know, are, are worth, worth the trip, uh, you know, for, for scouts as well. Okay. What are your, what are your thoughts on Isaiah Roby's game? Kind of the, the, the fun joke to make here is that he doesn't, he still doesn't know how good he is. Um, he, he's maybe a little bit, he's maybe not as aggressive as, as most people would like him to be. I, I kind of just want to get your take on Roby and kind of where his game needs to grow where you feel like he's his his strengths are and, and kind of what you would project him as as an NBA player. Yeah, so I, I'm a big fan of his game, uh, and I think that he's a guy who will probably fit fit a little bit better into the pro game just based on you know what he does well. I think a lot of it uh, you know translates pretty pretty effectively. You know, I mean, he's a you know very good athlete. Uh, from an offensive perspective, you know, he can, he can space the floor. He can shoot it. Uh, he can play off the dribble a little bit. He's a good passer. Uh, you know, I think, you know, that, you know, just sort of the versatility for him offensively, I think is important. Um, he doesn't need a ton of touches uh, to be, to be effective. I think some of what he does sort of goes beyond the box score. You know, I think obviously looking at his stats this year, you know, it hasn't necessarily been a ton of high scoring games. He hasn't really had a, 
you know, the big breakout game yet, but I think that's coming. And, uh, you know, defensively, he covers a lot of ground, uh, moves really well laterally. I think he, you know, will be an asset, you know, being able to switch ball screens, uh, you know, defend big and defend some wings, you know, guys like that who sort of, I guess, check a lot of those boxes uh, are valuable. And I think, you know, with the size, as big as he is and athletic as he is and, you know, being, you know, a good kid, uh, you know, I think all those things are going to work in his favor. Uh, and I, I do think that, you know, from watching Nebraska, uh, I think they probably are using him, uh, you know, a little bit out of position. You know, I think he's probably a four and they have to play him at the five just based on, you know, the depth issue, which we, you know, I mentioned earlier. It's like, you know, they don't really have uh, anyone else they can throw in there for extended periods of time. So I think, you know, that's something that he's going to have to keep adapting to. And it's going to be tough because, you know, in Big Ten, a lot of good bigs. Uh, so he's going to have to be physical and, uh, and sort of show that he can sort of bang in there. Uh, but, I, you know, just circling back, I mean, I really do like him as a long-term prospect. And I think that, you know, to say that, I think it's accurate to say, you know, he's still, you know, figuring out how good he can be. And, uh, you know, he's going to working on his game. And I, I think that it'll, I'll at some point uh, start to click for him. You, you referenced this, that, um, a lot of what he does goes beyond the box score, and, and he he hasn't had that kind of big breakout game. D- does does that bother you, or do you not? Does that not worry you because of all the other little things that he does? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a concern. I mean, I think when we talk about players in the context of the draft, uh, you know, you can look at and see you know what player stats are and sort of see how they're playing. But uh, you know, the value of going to the games and watching the games is you can kind of understand uh, you know the value of you know, what guys bring within their role. And I think, I mean, without him, I think Nebraska would be, would be screwed. Uh, honestly, like just, you know, from a defensive perspective, uh, you know, they don't have a ton of great defenders. Uh, you know, he kind of cleans some stuff up and helps them uh, just with his versatility, you know, being able to drop on pick and rolls and sort of, you know, cover for other guys' mistakes. You know, I think that's, that's huge. Uh, and, you know, he's probably, he's their best athlete, I think too. Uh, uh, and offensively, you know, just having him sort of, you know, they're not really running plays through him, but just having him as sort of as a threat to sort of pop up and score, uh, I think matters too. So, you know, I do, I do think that it's coming. Uh, and again, it's, it's all about sort of projection. Uh, and, and in the NBA, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's asked to take 10 shots a game. Uh, but he's not going to have to if he, you know, rebounds and plays defense and hits open threes. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh let's transition to James Palmer. Um, I want to ask you kind of about where you would project him as. Is, is he? I mean, because three point shooting last year was an issue. He's more of kind of a herky jerky transition scorer, get into the paint. Um, and the three point shooting last year was bad, and it's gotten worse this year. He's not hitting anything. Um, it, it, is he a pro prospect, or is he just a really good college scorer? Yeah, I I think that you know right now. It's a draft for today. I don't know that he would get drafted. Um, will he get opportunities? Yes. Uh, will he probably need to play in the G League? Yes. Uh, could he go overseas and make money? Totally. Um, it, just the thing with him is it's just like, you know, really he is sort of a scorer. Uh, he does not have much of a defensive or a playmaking element to his game. So the teams are always looking for wings. Uh, but if you're really just a scorer, uh, you know, just to be – if you think about like the baseline level of efficiency that you need to just be like a scorer in the NBA, like guys like, you know, who the Lou Williams is or whoever who, uh, you know, are kind of will pop up and come off the bench or what Jamal Crawford or what have you got guys like that. who are really scorers. Uh, you know, you have to be so, so good at what you do to do that. And I don't know that Palmer is quite, you know, athletic and smooth enough to, you know, be that role in the NBA. So it's either going to be that he will have to, really sort of reinvent himself a little bit as a pro uh, or he'll end up going overseas uh, or, you know, kind of being in the G league and coming up and down. So it's not, it's not that say that he can't do it, but I agree with you that, you know, the shooting is a concern. Uh, but in terms of what he does for Nebraska, like who as sort of the leading scorer, I think he does a pretty good job. Okay. So, so with, with his game, is it as simple as saying, okay, commit to defense and turn yourself into a two-way player is it as simple as saying just get get in the gym a ton and start knocking down threes and prove that that can be consistency, or is it like you said, reinvent his game all around? Yeah, I, I think I don't know if this will happen, uh, but if he decided he really wanted to be a good defender, do that, uh, you know, and keep working. I'm sure he's working on his shooting, but you know, just just a natural part of his game. So, you know, again, it's not to say that he can't do it. 
Um, if he magically improved in those areas, then yeah, I think you could you know look at him a little bit more positively. But uh, I think it's probably going to be a, a bit of an uphill uh, climb for him. Um, but you know he is talented, uh, and as long as he keeps playing well and producing, uh, you know he's going to get opportunities. You know I'm sure he'll you know in summer league he'll make someone's training camp. Uh, but you know from there, if, if, so there's so many more variables that it's hard to hard to say. Okay. Going back to Roby, um, what, what's an area of his game that you look at and you say that's where he needs to improve the most? Yeah, I, I think I think it's just consistency with uh, the three-point shooting. Uh, you know, that's going to be really critical for him. Uh, I know he knows that, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to stick in the NBA, just especially with bigs now and re- really everyone. I mean, you see the way it's going. You know, all five guys can step out and you know, hit a spot up three and I know he can do it. Uh, you know, he looks natural shooting it and it's just a matter of, you know, getting the reps in and, you know, becoming more of a catch and shoot guy. Um, because, you know, again, he is going to be a role player, uh, but that's not, that's not a bad thing to say, you know, to say, Hey, someone's a role player. In the NBA. I mean, you're still making a lot of money. You're a very valuable piece. Right. Uh, so for him, I think, I think continuing to just keep working on, you know, the, the stretch. So, so to speak, like the stretch part of his game, stretching the floor, spacing it consistently. Uh, is going to be the thing, uh, but he looks good doing it. You know, he looks pretty natural catching and shooting, and I, I don't question that he can do it. Uh, so it's just a matter of you know being able to show it at the right times to the right people. Okay, uh, Nebraska cracked the the top twenty five, the AP top twenty five this past week for the first time in, in almost five years. Um, they lost to Minnesota Wednesday night, uh, but they're they're probably a team that will continue to hover around like twenty to thirty this year, assuming that they stay at this current pace that they're on. Um, I'm curious, how does this team? this Nebraska team compared to other upper level college basketball teams around the country that, that you've gotten to watch? I mean, is this a group that should be taken seriously in a national discussion? Um, or is it just a group that, you know, yeah, they could be a, a three seed in the big 10. Yeah. You know, I, I view them more as a team that you know, I think will be in the picture come tournament time, whether, you know, on the bubble or just above. I mean, you know, they have, they have enough talent. Uh, you know, they've obviously been getting the job done. Um, you know, they're going to have, you know, losing to Minnesota the other night, I didn't see the game, uh, but they're going to need to win games like that uh, more often than not. You know, those, you know, big, big, they're going to have to be at the mid-tier Big Ten teams. Uh, but I think they have enough to do it. I mean, you know, they have experience. Uh, you know, these guys have played together uh, a good amount. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I think my, my big concern is just I think the depth thing might become an issue when it's a close game and if someone falls out, you know, who do they – who they're bringing off the bench. Uh, you know, they don't have a ton of, you know, beyond their, you know, top three guys. And, you know, what, I guess, you know, Watson is a guy who's been around. So, you know, he's, he's stunning. Uh, but beyond those guys, there's just not a ton there. So I, I think it's just going to depend on really how, how they perform in those, those close games. You know, if they can finish in the top half of the big 10, they finish the top three team in the big 10 or whatever, you know, that's, I think that's a great outcome for them. Um, I think they're absolutely good enough to be a tournament team, uh, but it's just, it's those, those so many, conference games left to go uh, and I, I, I think it's worth noting that the big 10 too i mean a lot of teams got guys back you know you're seeing the wisconsin and the iowas are also getting ranked and you know those are teams that, again it's like they're sort of there with nebraska where you know it's not like they have a ton of studs or like new guys but it's just they got everyone back and have improved it's it's funny that you mentioned depth for nebraska because uh in the, the minnesota game wednesday night uh isaac copeland fouled out late and yep. they blew a lead and then in the, the Texas Tech loss, Roby was in foul trouble late, and they kind of fell apart down the stretch. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the big man rotation uh, behind the top two guys is, is an issue. Um, what do you, right. you think of Pinnacle Bank Arena? Oh, man, it's nice. It's uh, definitely one of the nicer uh, college arenas I've been to. Uh, and I know it's pretty new. I don't know exactly what you know, I'm sure, like when, how, how really new it is. But just the facilities are great. Uh, you know, not not really a bad seat there. Um, I thought the crowd was great. You know, so they you know, showed up and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's something that should help them recruit in theory. You know, I mean, I know, you know, just realistically it's hard sometimes to get guys to come all the way out there. Uh, but again, it's, you know, putting the money into that, uh, I think is, is going to help, uh, and should help. Yeah. I think the, I think it's like a four or five year old arena. Like it's, it's That's pretty, it's pretty new. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, that's all I got for you, man. Thanks thanks so much for, for taking some time to talk with me. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I had a good time out there. So thanks for reaching out, man. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I'll link Jeremy's Twitter in the description. Make sure you give him a follow and, and read all his stuff on Sports Illustrated. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate it.
All right, so more basketball talk ahead. I'm joined by Jacob Padilla, Hill Varsity staff writer, and Matt DeMarinas from the White and Blue Review. Matt, thanks for joining the show. We'll talk to you first. How you doing, man? Doing good, Derek. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm a little cold. My face froze off on the walk to our office, but uh, I'm good. Jacob, how you been? Uh, I've been pretty well. Thanks for having me back on the show. I mean, it's been a while since the last time that we tried to record that you decided that your microphone wasn't going to work. So, Was that the last time you were on the podcast? That was. <laughs> oh, man. You should come to the office more often. <laughs> uh, I keep the office fairly decent or fairly often during the season, but eh, you never recorded on those days. So yeah, what was that, Matt? I was going to say, don't you guys work together? I figured this would happen <laughs> often. It seems like a reunion almost. I'm glad I could bring you together. <laughs> so, Matt, one of the things that I want to talk to you about: uh, you're outside of obviously you're outside of the Nebraska media bubble. Um, you are, I'm going to assume, outside the Nebraska fan bubble. I want to get your take on Nebraska basketball and kind of what you think this team can accomplish this season uh, and kind of what your thoughts are on what you've seen over the last couple of weeks. Two of the toughest tests that Nebraska has faced this season. Uh, they dropped, dropped the game to Texas Tech and then blew a lead against Minnesota. What are your thoughts on the team? Yeah, well, I'm not... Uh... I'm not so far outside that I don't get the ripple effect, but um, I do definitely see the overreactions and whatnot of, you know, each game. I do think there's like kind of a, I think um, there's like a football mentality to it uh, where every game has a lot of emotion invested into it. And uh, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of their longtime media members get caught up in that too, just because they've probably been covering it for so long. They're starved for something different um, than what they've been getting, so they kind of overreact in the same vein as the fans. Um, but yeah, just in terms of what this team can accomplish, I thought you know they have enough talent to be an NCAA tournament team. They certainly have enough experience, which is important as well. Um, I don't know if I felt like I saw a lot of people thinking that maybe they were a second weekend type of roster. I don't know that I felt that way because, you know, I still thought they were pretty flawed last year, even though they had a chance to be on the bubble and make a push. And, um, you know, and the bottom line is they they didn't really prove by, they didn't really prove anything last year by beating anybody significant other than Michigan at home. Um, and and then they go one and done in the NIT. So like there wasn't really anything to build up. I don't know how many teams go one and done in the NIT and then make a big run without adding some type of you know really super talented freshman or transfer or something like that. You know what I mean? So kind of felt like bringing back the pieces that they brought back is good, but I don't necessarily think that you automatically get better just by not. You know, just by returning a lot of upper, like, like getting older, I guess I should say. I don't think that's necessarily a, a translation always, but you kind of are who you are sometimes. And, and I think they are who they were a lot last year. Like, I don't really see a whole lot of improvement um, in their games, to be honest. Uh, I think maybe Glenn Watson is a little bit more efficient offensively. Certainly, he struggled quite a bit in the second half of the year last year with his, with his shot alone. Um, yeah, a lot more. <laughs> yes, he's probably been, he's probably made a lot of strides and he's a lot more efficient, but I kind of always thought he was really talented and last year was just a slump. So I'm not too surprised that he's kind of gotten together, but you know, when you look at James Palmer Jr., I mean, if he's not getting to the free throw line, he's pretty much not a factor, I, I think. And, uh, you know, I think Copeland's playing well, but Roby hasn't really taken the step that probably everybody thought he would from sophomore to junior year. Uh, it kind of seems like he's struggling to find, you know, kind of where he fits in this whole deal. Um, and I think it's affecting his game. And then the bench is coming along, but it's still not to the point of where you'll trust it over the long haul. They still got to keep, I think Miles just has to kind of let it go and let him get experience because they're going to need it. Cause the big 10 is a lot better than last year. 
they're not. I don't. I don't think they're winning 13 games in this league this year. But I also don't think they need to win 13 to make the tournament. So there's like a little bit of give and take there. Um, but they have to develop that bench because they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it through the Big Ten without with five guys. It's just not happening. Yeah, depth depth is definitely a concern. Um, the Big Ten is going to do them favors this year as opposed to last year where it did them absolutely no favors. But they've got that, that win over Clemson, which will be nice when we we're talking about tournament resumes and things like that. And Jacob, feel free to jump in here at any time. Uh, Matt, the offense to you, are, are you worried about it? the way a lot of other people are. I mean, you, you mentioned overreaction and there's, it's, it, it's almost like confirmation bias. Like the two losses this team has had, it's like the sky is falling and then they win a game and it's, everything's back to normal. Like, are, are you worried about the offense the way everybody else is? I'm kind of, I'm not really, I'm not really worried. I kind of know what to expect from a 10 miles offense. So, you know, it's prone to shooting slumps. It's prone to field goal, like droughts. And just because it's so predicated on movement and, you know, attack an attacking mentality, and it's hard to keep that up for 40 minutes. So, you know, they don't pass it, they don't share it very well, and they don't shoot it very well. So, when those two factors kind of work in, in cohesion, then you're prone to fetches of, you know, where it's going to hit the rim more than the net. So, um, and I think the fact that they aren't very big, you know, limits their second chance opportunities as well. So, you're not, so even when you're not hitting shots, you don't have a chance to necessarily clean it up on the glass so you're you're kind of just hoping to you know what i think is the problem when they go through those stretches they don't attack to get to the free throw line enough um they kind of start settling for jumpers and try to shoot their way out of it and they don't really and they don't start sh- they don't, and they share it even less when they're shooting it poorly so you know they kind of are their own worst enemy when the slumps happen because they try to they kind of try to play hero ball to get their way out of it so that's just kind of what you know it's just kind of what i see out of Miles coach teams, you know, over the years, and they they are prone to that type of thing, and and they don't usually get their way out of it the way they should. Yeah, I I can't disagree with anything you've said so far. I think one thing that I'd like to see a little bit more during those slumps is uh, Miles kind of taking control, calling out a set play or something, because continuing to kind of run their base stuff when things start to go wrong, like you said. Yeah. The, guys kind of start making some bad decisions trying to get it all back in one play or I just I don't think they have enough good decision makers out there um when times are tough to just kind of let them play and get themselves out of it um so I'd love to see them Miles have some kind of go-to play here or there where you can get Copeland the ball and hit one of his spots or um get get Palmer going downhill and um so something like that, it just doesn't seem like they've got an answer for when those slumps do start to happen. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Creighton then. You guys, I, I mean, I'm sure both of you will be watching the game this weekend. Jacob, you'll be there. Matt, are you, you going to be at the game this weekend? Yeah, I'll be watching on Saturday for sure. I was, I was thinking about coming down for the women's game too, but we'll see if they're in the building. But yeah, well, they should. There's not a there's not a ton of people that cover the women's game. You should probably be able to get in. Um, what are, what are you expecting from? From this this match, this has been a hotly contested matchup um, for as long as you know I can remember. Um, Jacob, we'll start with you. Kind of, what are you expecting from Nebraska on Saturday when they hit a, a rivalry game? Kind of. Yeah, um, my uh, my Friday column is actually just kind of about this game overall and what it means, and kind of looking at. Uh, the, the kind of clash of opposing styles. I think that's the thing that's going to be most fascinating about the game is you look at these teams and they're almost polar opposites. Nebraska's at its best uh, in the paint and at the free throw line. And Creighton's one of the best shooting teams in the country. Uh, Nebraska's best at taking away that three. Um, Creighton goes really deep. They, they've played 10 guys or more in every game so far. And Nebraska, as Matt was talking about, Miles has gotten pretty short with that bench at times and hasn't really rolled with those guys kind of through mistakes. Um, so it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see kind of which which style, which pace kind of wins out. And uh, especially because Nebraska, when they've gotten going, um, it's when they've been able to get out on run, and run in the open court, get force some turnovers, and go the other way. So it'll be interesting to see what pace this game is played at because if there's one thing Creighton has 
struggled with so far this season, it's turnovers, especially early in the game. They've come out and kind of uh, gotten sloppy with the ball early on. Uh, and uh, that, that, that'll be interesting if they do that again and Nebraska can get out and run. What will that do kind of for Creighton and just kind of the overall um, gameplay throughout if both teams are running? So um, I, I think uh, Nebraska would ideally like to keep uh, the point totals low. But at the same time, like they've got to be able to take advantage of their opportunities to run because I don't think Nebraska can out-execute Creighton in the half court either. So the thing I'm looking forward to uh, most is kind of just the contrast of styles in this game. Does Creighton just have like a perpetual like feeder system for three-point shooters? <laughs> it's recruiting and development. That's kind of yeah. something that they've yeah. been really good at. I mean, you, you look, look at... Like it's hard to look at when you see like the way Creighton does it versus the way Nebraska does it, and you're like, how? But you know, they just really they understand their identity, they recruit to it, and they develop it. Like you know, they they're not afraid to redshirt guys and work with them over you know an entire year, and you see you always see the gains that are made. I mean, you know, Damian Jefferson is the latest example of it. I think he's top 15 in the country in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. And when he got here, I don't even think he shot the ball at all. Like, not even if he wanted to, he wouldn't shoot it. So Yeah, he's 10 of 15 from three right now. And uh, they, when he got there, um, they reworked his shot um, because it was kind of broken. So that's kind of a testament to that development part of things where Hey, they they know what they're doing in that regard and can help a help a guy kind of correct his issues. And now he's again shooting sixty seven percent from three. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's just what they do. Um, but I, I totally agree with Jacob on you know turnovers being a factor and you know because for for all Nebraska's for Nebraska, you know they're not a. a terrible you know they're not leading the country in tempo or anything but um they do want to run and they do want to create turnovers and get out and transition that way so that's going to be a key to the game you know we were talking about Tyshawn Alexander yesterday about a team that wants to slow them down and um the thing with Creighton is they're going to try to force it no matter what so they're preparing for Nebraska to kind of sit on the ball a little bit take the air out of it run their motion and try to find you know the right alley to attack um, and take as much time as they need to do it. Um, but the game plan after that is to, when you're done doing what you want to do, we're going to run it right at you no matter what. So um, that's kind of Creighton's mentality. So one way or the other, you're going to see the game try to be spurty. Um, Creighton's going to try to run as much as possible, especially with Creighton and the rest not being as deep. Um, that's definitely going to be, I think, where this game is won. If, if Creighton can rebound on the defensive glass and limit turnovers, Nebraska's going to have a hell of a time keeping up because the game's going to kind of wear them out in the second half. But um, I think the one thing I'll say about this is, like, for as much as Creighton has owned this series in terms of the win-loss result, uh, I thought I think Miles has done a really good job. You know, his teams have done a really good job of being the ones in control of the tempo. I will say that. Um, it does feel like Creighton has a tough time getting the game up and down against uh, Nebraska. And I think in general, it's easier to slow a game down than to speed it up. So that's part of it. Um, but I think that's going to be a big factor on Saturday, uh, certainly, because, you know, I think Nebraska wants to be opportunistic with when they run. Creighton wants to run all the time. So that's kind of where you see the battle be fought or the war be fought. Matt, what's a – Jacob, we'll go to you after. But, Matt, what's a, a positional – matchup that you're kind of most looking forward to watching? Well, I think uh, Creighton has a tough matchup with Roby and Copeland in terms of their skill set. Um, but I also think Creighton has an advantage in dealing with Roby in terms of depth because they run, uh, you know, three big rotation with Martin Crompel and Jacob Epperson and Samson Froling. Um, so I think that they have an opportunity there to kind of exploit Roby in certain ways because all those guys kind of do different stuff. Um, and they've and they've been consistent with playing those three bigs in rotation 
uh, throughout the year so far. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that continue. Um, that's probably where they can counter the Roby mismatch because, like I said, I don't think they really have a guy who is like him. Um, and then Copeland was just the, the Copeland's probably the most um, worrisome player from a Creighton perspective, I guess, because they have nobody who can really match up with him from a size and physicality standpoint, but also where he kind of gets what he gets. You know what I mean? So yeah. I assume Damian Jefferson is going to get that assignment. Um, and Mitch Bauer to an extent too, so that they're going to get some size there for sure. Um, so it's going to be paramount that they kind of keep him off the offensive glass, uh, but also you know make sure they you know stay with him on the catch and make his you know take away his space and not necessarily let him get into a rhythm early because I think you know he got really he got going really early in last year's game and it was kind of hard for Creighton to get control of that once he got hot and once Palmer got hot. Yeah, that that was actually something I was going to ask you about is that matchup in particular because Copeland's been so good in the low and mid post this season, and it seems like you got Jefferson Ballack at six four, um, Copeland at six nine. Um, seems like he's probably going to be able to, I think, shoot over the top in that matchup quite a bit. And then on the other end of the floor, um, he, he's not a guard, but he's done a pretty decent job of defending on the perimeter and sticking with wings and. He was one of the guys they, they had on Texas Tech's Jarrett Culver. And so I don't think they're worried about losing out on that matchup too much on the other end. So I definitely think that's a big one. But the other one I was wondering, um, <laughs> James Palmer is capable of being very good and very bad. And do you think Creighton has the kind of personnel that can um, kind of steer him toward uh, playing the way where he struggles, can they have guys that can stay in front without fouling that can force the jumpers from him? Um, I, I was trying to figure out who the, uh, the matchups might be. I don't know if you want Tyshawn Alexander on him because of the foul trouble potential. Is that somewhere where you start Davian Mintz on him? Yeah, I could, well, I can see, I don't know about Mintz, but I, I can see, you know, them rotating certain guys. Like, I think Alexander definitely is one that you mentioned. Uh, Caleb Joseph would be another. Um, I could even see Damian Jefferson if they just if they just decide to you know let Ballack handle Copeland and let Copeland do whatever he can do. I guess as much as he wants. Because the other thing is Nebraska doesn't really play through Copeland a whole lot, so he can get lost just in what Nebraska does. Um, they haven't really tried to exploit him as much as I think they should. I think he's their best player offensively, but they haven't really you know, tried to play through him as much as I think they should have. So I think maybe Creighton can get away with playing Ballack on Copeland, you know, for stretches because Nebraska doesn't really try to play through him a whole lot. And then you can slide Damian Jefferson over to Palmer um, and just rotate Palmer, Alexander, Joseph, Mintz, um, you know, whoever you want in terms of quickness and size because I don't think you're going to find anybody who can match Palmer size-wise, but if you can stay in front of him and, like you said, make him be a, make him be a jump shooter um, and keep him out of the lane, that's going to be big. But, you know, you're going to see a lot of stunts, a lot of gap help, um, you know, a lot of things Creighton will do defensively from a creative standpoint to try to help keep that ball out of the paint. So it won't just be, a, you know, a one-to-one matchup. You know, Creighton doesn't really – Creighton, you know, they lost Kyrie Thomas, who you could probably put on Palmer and you can pretty much say Palmer's night's over right there. Uh, they don't have that this year, so they kind of do it by committee. And I think we're going to see Creighton kind of try to lock in defensively from a team standpoint to keep that ball out of the paint. And when it gets in there, dig at it, swipe at it, you know, make it tough, make it – don't give those driving lanes up so easily. <clears throat> Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time and joining us on the podcast. Yeah, anytime, man. I think Creighton's playing all your Oklahoma boys next weekend. So they, yeah. yeah, they are. That'll be a fun game. Oklahoma lost a uh, top ten player and actually is a better team right now. So it's funny, <laughs> funny how that works. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Let's just let you know in case you didn't know that that basketball is a team sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, one hundred percent. Well, it, it was funny because no, we don't need to get into that. Uh, Matt, <laughs> this is not this is not we that kind of podcast. He sees the rabbit hole, but he avoids it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're not, this is not that kind of podcast. There's a time and a place. Uh, Matt, actually, let's get a prediction before you get out of here for the game on Saturday. 
Ooh. Man, it's so hard to go against the history, man. Um, I, I, I will go against it, though. I think Nebraska gets it done this year. I mean, if they're not going to get it done this year, when they're going to get it done because I see the young players on that team and all the W losing going into the future and all that. Creighton, Creighton has a, a really good young nucleus. So if, they, if Nebraska doesn't get it this year at home with all the experience they have, uh, you know, the next few years can be really ugly. Um, so I'll say they get it done, but I think it's a competitive game throughout. Let's go Nebraska 72, Creighton 66. Ooh, high-scoring game. I like it. That's not a high-scoring game. <laughs> well, by, by, Nebraska, by Nebraska's standards Nebraska this season. Game, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and as, as Matt mentioned, uh, Creighton, their top four scores are freshmen or sophomores. So they do have a very strong young core, but I, uh, I cannot pick against Creighton until Nebraska beats them. I just can't do it. Um, two weeks ago, um, I might've felt differently, but ever since Creighton, uh, made that trip down to the Cayman Islands, Islands, wow, I cannot talk. Um, it seems like they've kind of found themselves and they've been playing at a high level ever since. So, um, I think I'm going to have to go with Creighton until Nebraska proves they can get it done. Um, maybe something like 79, 72, 73, something in that area. So the Creighton guy picks Nebraska, and the Nebraska guy picks Creighton. <laughs> well, Jacob's a Creighton alum, so he's technically. But Jacob covers Nebraska, and as a member of the Nebraska media, he is uh, hereby ordered to be a fanboy. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it works. You know, one thing I will say, though, is like, this is such a big game for Nebraska. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the psychological stranglehold that Creighton has on them right now. Um, and all the expectations that Nebraska has, I think that this season could unwind if they don't get this done on Saturday. Um, I know it's like we talked about how overreactions and stuff like that, but I do think this one has a giant ripple effect, whichever way it goes. Um, you know, so and history hasn't been on their side, but if, if any team is supposed to reverse that trend, I think this is the one to do it. So if they don't get it done, I could see this thing going sideways for the rest of the year. Because like I said, that, that, that Big Ten schedule is not going to be forgiving for them. Well, for the sake of our mentions on social media and our page views on site, I hope that they get it done then. Uh, Matt, thanks for, thanks for joining us. It was, it was fun. And uh, we will see you on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming back, Jacob. It's always good to have you on, even though I know you <laughs> think I hate you. <laughs> hey, so, I'm just going off of... Uh what i'm seeing so no okay we'll we'll try to have you on the podcast more uh shout out to greg smith for joining us earlier in the podcast to talk wandale um and jeremy Wu from sports illustrated for joining us uh you know that that conversation packed was show wow yeah yeah pack show that conversation was fun this was a good show um thanks everybody for listening we'll be back next week we'll have plenty of coverage on hillvarsity.com uh throughout the weekend and then throughout the upcoming week there's Still some recruiting stuff happening, so we will have plenty of coverage on that, and we will talk to you guys next week.